0: Hi, this is Ashi Bachu, founder and CEO of MC Squared Health. I'm here with Guadalupe Hayes-Mota. Guadalupe is the Global Supply Chain Director at Ultragenix Pharmaceuticals and is also a patient advocate and speaker. Guadalupe, so great to have you here. Thank you. Guadalupe, why don't we uh, start with the basics? Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yes, uh, so my name is Guadalupe hayes and I am the Director of Global Supply Chain and Manufacturing at Ultragenix, which is a uh, um disorders company that provides different types of medicines around the world. And I have a a lot of experience working in global supply chains, but also having managed clinics before healthcare clinics, as well as in healthcare policy with the RAG Corporation in UCLA Health.
0: Wow. So you've had a pretty diverse career in terms of being at all levels in healthcare. Um, And with what we're going through now with COVID, I'm sure that you have an incredible kind of perspective. Starting with ultragenics, you know, how is COVID nineteen disrupting the medication supply chain? Um, and you know, more broadly, how is this from previous disruptions that could happen for global supply chains that uh, you've worked with?
1: Yeah, I think this uh, this epidemic itself, a pandemic, has really has transformed or has changed the global supply chains for everyone. Uh, medications has been one of the ones has been impacted the most, I think, right now. And the reason it has been mostly impacted is because it has been impacted three different ways. First, it has impacted the manufacturing that we're doing, also, second, the distribution, and third is like the inventory that we have of those medicines. So what this means is with a lot of this different uh, pandemic going on, our manufacturers are being transformed, meaning that some people might not be able to go to the manufacturing floor, and so a lot of the products being produced completely are shift, and that itself kind of puts delays in how we produce these products. Regarding the distribution, there has been a lot of changes because now where we're trying to import this to different countries, now those can no longer be done or sometimes even the capacity of transporting things around the world has decreased because some changes within different um, third party vendors that provide these distributions. Now, also the regulations within each country might be different because there has been some changes of what can be imported what cannot be exported so that distribution has really shifted of how things can be moved from one place to the next and the third is the inventory right so like most of the medicines that most companies have they have a strong big inventory to kind of really make sure that if anything like a pandemic or an earthquake or a big disaster happens there is product to be Give to the patient now because now we some of a lot of the companies what they're doing is actually trying to use not utilizing that inventory because the impact that has happened to the manufacturing distribution so the inventory management how completely transformed and the question about how is this very different than other. Uh, other events is now is much more different because it's a global impact before a lot of times you get more of a localized impact let's say like with Hurricane Maria that happened in Puerto Rico like that affected only the manufacturing in Puerto Rico right and now then we saw the effect that that happened globally but the actual where the impact the actual what happened was only in Puerto Rico, that was the only place. With this specifically, this is being impacted everywhere, right? So all our different locations are being changed. And because of that, there are so many changes happening that, that a lot of those changes makes the ability to manufacture these things and distribute these much more difficult. So it, it just increases that complexity of the supply chain much more, uh, making it much more difficult for this to provide to the to the patient.
0: Guadalupe, I, you know, I'm sure that uh, in a steady state without something like coronavirus, um, there's close tracking of how uh, shipments, sourcing of materials for medications are done. Um, you know, how in the face of a pandemic such as COVID, how do you continue to track developments? Because there's probably a variety of different things that are happening that are specific to each country that you're shipping to in your global supply chain.
1: Yeah, so how it works is a lot of our the network of supply chains or distribution has their own localized distribution centers that are connect, connected to specific countries. So in that case, let's say like you have a distribution center in the UK that goes to the UK and another distribution center that's like in Spain and that goes to all Europe. So there's are distribution centers that are localized. And within those distribution centers, you kind of have someone who kind of monitors those countries, right? They're kind of understanding, trying to pick up all the information that can gain from those those countries, such as wars or earthquakes or any different, all those circumstances. That information kind of feeds back into the distribution center and they kind of start Providing all that information back to us, where we can actually see what exactly is happening for each of these countries and we get an overall perspective of it. Usually, on a normal basis, when there is an, a pandemic going on or a huge Catastrophic happening. These updates come in a weekly basis, where I can actually see where distribution channels are and what are not, and I can we can strategize up how to implement this. Now, because this is happening, we have to look this in a daily way, right? We're looking at this information a daily, where we see what exactly is the updates for each country and where it stands. So, utilizing that information, then we can think about how do we change the distribution channels or what can we do to do that. So, the information is finally much more quicker and. Our, the cycle time is much, much shorter because now we have to be much more proactive about it, uh, that we have to get that information sooner than later. So a lot of information comes from the union centers themselves, but also another way that I'm able to really track of this is just reading the news and be able to kind of see what's happening around the world, right? Where you get more of the information if anything, a major impact is happening in some parts of the world that can influence your supply chain. Uh, like I say, wars, natural disasters, uh, pandemic—all those different things can really make you start thinking of the strategy where you're going to go
0: forward. And in terms of increased cycle times, previously were you assessing at maybe like a month or quarterly strategic vantage point? Has it shifted now to almost like a weekly? Type of view yeah, kind of periodicity. Uh, we,
1: Mostly uh, now, we when we sit with the actual the COVID-19 task force, which is a, the force that really takes more of the proactive um, role of thinking where the the strategy is going to go, that meets like twice a week. And so it's a much more sh- shorter period. Before, it was once a month that will meet. But I would still look up the reports like every week to just get a sense for it. But the strategy was pretty much a monthly kind of way of
0: where we're going with it. From both of that is values- and business standpoint, you know, how important is it that a treatment is found for COVID-19? I mean, there's a lot of discussion at the uh, you know, national level for the US, as well as at the WHO level around finding uh, vaccine treatments, different alternatives, combinations of medications. Uh, curious about how uh, that is in the mindset um, of Ultragenics and the work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, so for us, I think it's important to get the the vaccine or a treatment itself, because it makes business sense in one way, because obviously it impacts the economy overall. But most importantly, it really affects the supplies of food and medicine, right? So in this case, if you're able to vaccinate the workforce, that's going to be able to these people to kind of have a job and be healthy and sustain the manufacturing of these products such as the, such as the medicines right so in that case they'll be able to have people who will be able to produce these goods that will kind of impact what we're making and also it will help the distribution channels of it right because you also need people who are need to fly in these planes need to uh you have to take these boats across the classic Atlantic, or different components that you need that workforce also to do the distribution of it so you need a healthy workforce to do it and so the supply chains are really rely they really rely on people and so you have to have a really healthy workforce and the second is economy right because overall if you provide this vaccine a lot of people can go back to work a lot of people can be more together and they can just make the economy keep growing or just be steady at the time. Otherwise, a lot of things just hold and pause, right? And that's, that can be a little dangerous given the fact that it can stop the economy from growing, but also it's dangerous because it can stop the delivery and production of foods and medicines, which are very
0: critical for people. And you know, there's a, there's a question uh, that often pops up around, uh, pharmaceutical companies or businesses all banding together and making, you know, concerted strides towards uh, coming up with COVID-19 vaccines and treatments. Um, Is it a bad idea potentially for actually all pharmaceutical companies to switch their efforts entirely towards working on COVID-19 or would it be better for a few like a focused effort? What is your perspective on that?
1: It, It makes sense to kind of have a very diverse set of uh, spreads. I mean, meaning that there should be companies that should be focusing on COVID-19, but there should be other companies that focuses on different technologies and different medicines, right? Um, because there's other diseases out there that are also life-threatening and also are impacted, right? So these other companies, like for us, for we do rare diseases. So these individuals are still suffering from these rare diseases and we need to still develop these products for them and their lives depends on this. So not, not every company should go towards just creating that COVID-19 product because there's a big need within the patients that they might need other types of medicine beyond just COVID-19. And secondly, there is also the sense of the the business perspective about it because not every company might have the technology or even the strategy to really be able to produce the specific medications. So a lot of the medications that are being produced in vaccines for COVID-19 come from uh, companies that are have the expertise in vaccines but also have developed products that are that are already done for viruses and mRNA viruses. So they're, they're really specific for that. Nonetheless, if a company has their technology much more focused in different type of area that is not precisely virology, but it's much more specific, like I said, in proteins or other components, that technology itself might not lend to a production of a COVID-19. So you might have to reshift the entire strategy of the, of the company, but also you might have the other capabilities of doing it. So in the business-wise, in the strategy-based sense, it makes no sense for a company to just towards that direction. Uh, so there is a need for it in the sense that they they need to produce for a more specific population that need different type of medicines, but sometimes the technology and the and the strategy of the company might not allow it to.
0: So Guadalupe, of course, the entire country, the entire world is focused on a vaccine being produced uh, for COVID. However, you know, vaccine production takes time. Do you have a sense of how much time a typical vaccine takes to produce? What are kind of the timelines that we could expect for COVID? Are there anything, Are there any components to COVID that are unique that could take it longer to have a vaccine produced?
1: Yeah I think vaccines vary from I think virus to virus so like those timelines can be very different but I think in a time frame it takes about 18 months to produce a vaccine and that just from end to end and that's if it's successful right. Now what's happening right now with COVID-19 some companies are making those timelines a little shorter because they're trying to they're getting a lot of approval from the government to make them shorter so they're looking at smaller database databases of individuals but also they're moving the clinical trials through the phases quicker uh, an example is moderna who's doing that where they're already thinking of doing the phase 3s by the end of the summer and that's really going to speed lights at this point because compared to a normal vaccine, it would have taken much longer, like at least 12 months to get there. So it's everything's shortened down a little bit. And usually the interesting thing is like for the vaccines themselves, the time seem shorter, but it's gonna be longer because for treatments itself, there's we already have produced treatments that have been shown to be safe for other other uh, for other diseases like HIV, and now they're just being treated to see whether they're actually working for COVID-19. So those are much later stages and the stage of the development so they can actually hit the market sooner uh, because they already show their their safety. So we might see treatments to be much faster than let's say a vaccine because the vaccine is starting from scratch.
0: In the sense of treatments, um, what do you think would be the timeline or how quickly do you think some promising treatments are, are looking to emerge?
1: Yeah, because so what happens is Because usually when a vaccine starts, you have to go from phase one, two, and three of the development. But since these treatments already have done phase one and two where they show safety and efficacy a little bit, they jump directly into the phase three. So they already jump two phases ahead of the game. So some of these treatments might even skip the market by the fall if they've shown successful, right, because they're able to kind of, they already passed those phases because it showed up through other different studies they've done in the past.
0: And do you have a sense of uh, treatments that are looking a bit promising that are kind of out there that there's discussions about?
1: Yeah. Um, so Gilead, actually, uh, they have their products in the phase three that was actually kind of given a green light by the government to kind of go forward with the FDA. And it, the the drug is called rem- Remedisivir, which is a drug that really targets the mark the RNA of, of the actual virus and they showed to be safe before so this one is one of the drugs that are shown to be the top the top in the in the race of getting a treatment because the government has given a green light to go into it and they're even prescribing it now as an emerging situation so they're they're trying to show that it might might show might be effective as right now so and those are in phase three so they're really really ahead. So once they get more data, if it it shows that it's really effective, the the RNA of the actual virus, it might be used as one of the first treatments.
0: So Guadalupe, you're also working uh, with an organization called Save One Life. Uh, And it sounds like during the coronavirus, there's an increased need for uh, some of the work that they're doing. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, what Save One Life does, your involvement happening as a result of COVID-19?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I sit on the board of Save One Life. And so Save One Life is a nonprofit that is dedicated to providing People with bleeding disorders with uh, free medicines, but also provide them with scholarships and micro grants for them to live a semi-normal uh, life. And these are for individuals who live in developing countries because are, there isn't much access to treatment there for people with bleeding disorders. Uh, we are exact. We have provided medicine to about thirty countries around the world uh, for this as of today, and the micro grants as well as scholarships we provide to about seventeen countries for that. And so the work that we do is very impactful because it allows uh, the, the people with bleeding disorders such as hemophiliacs to be able to study and get a job and be self-sufficient, but also be able to provide them with the medicine that they need. Now, it has been impacted by COVID-19 in one dimension because a lot of these individuals who live in developing countries might be much more uh, impacted by the, the COVID-19 because they have an ability to, you know, to have the isolation that we do in more developing countries as well as the infrastructure of the cities. So as people can actually be much more susceptible for it. So the ability for them to get this, uh, the money or the sponsorship of it, plus the medicine really allows them to be secluded of themselves from being able to get this and the second component is a lot of the money that we are getting might be impacted right because a lot of the money that we're coming into organizations are being impacted by those funding. so we are trying to still provide the same amount of resources as well as scholarships and medicines, but the ability to bring that revenue can be a little more difficult. So that has impacted a little bit of the organization. I think it has impacted a lot of nonprofits across the board of where the revenues are coming from.
0: And if somebody wanted to contribute or help out in some way, what would be the best way for them to get plugged in or be involved?
1: Yes. So you can log into saveonelife.net. And in there, it shows you specifically the, how you can sponsor a specific child in, this, in developing countries. And also gives you a little more information about this uh, the different programs that we do run. So you should log into saveonelife.net, uh, and it gives you that information.
0: Wonderful. Guadalupe, uh, it's been so great to chat with you. Wonderful to have you here.
1: Well, thank you so much for the opportunity.